Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to another great episode of Tales in Our Times. My name is Jana. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just doing. I get too caught up in the theme song. My name's George. How you doing, George? I'm doing fantastic, Mum. How are you? I'm actually I'm on the edge of my seat. We've got a pretty exciting weekend coming up. We have got a pretty exciting weekend. I am quite excited. I'll be honest. I mean, you know, I could play it down all I want, but um, at the end of the day, I'm going to be very excited. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Why is it we're excited? Allowed. Well, we've got a little event coming up that we're going to. We're going on another one of our oh-so-delightful field trips. Yay! And that's what we're discussing on this episode. Trip. So I won't say any more for now. Um, why don't we jump into our our little top of show bits first? What's that? Well, I mean, do you want to do news oh. or do you want to do a reading check Okay, well, I don't know. Which order do you want to do it in? Because we didn't sort of decide, did we? Let's, I love when we don't decide things ahead of time. Let's talk a little bit of the news. You've got some news to follow up with, haven't you? I do. Um, so months ago, it seems like, I think before October, maybe September, might even have been before that, or long, long times ago. We Pre-industrial. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but of course, time has no meaning because, you know, our episodes come out after, before, and, you know. We move back and forward like a ray, like a beam. Uh, sorry, that was little connection to the bush there. <laughs> totally off topic. Um, we've talked about the Booker Prize and we did list the uh, short list of this year's Booker Prize winners um, from the UK. And the winner was announced towards the end of November. I think it was the 23rd or somewhere near the end of November. And the winner was an Irish writer called Paul Lynch. And he won it with a book called Prophet's Song. Um, I am going to actually, you know, look that one up. I'm going to, you know, source it for myself. Uh, I would encourage you to do the same. I I know that we looked at these um, finalists individually, but I don't remember the outline to that one. Um, I know it's in one of the other episodes, but... Well, all the same, it'll be included in our books mentioned list. It will. So you can check it out yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So congratulations to him. Um, I'm, uh, you know, it's always interesting to see what's happening in the world of literature and um, the Booker Prize is a, is a big deal. Um, I also, and I think I mentioned this in a previous episode, but I, but I mention it now because I brought it up as a possible Christmas gift, not that anybody out there is giving me Christmas gifts, boys and girls, just bearing that in mind. No. But um, no The House they? of Books by, um, ah, buggeration. <laughs> See, you don't even know the author, so why would you be getting it as a Christmas uh, gift? Because dreams, I can dream. <laughs> because dreams, sweet dreams are made of books. Yes, but he was the guy who wrote The House of Doors. This was the book that was... The House of Doors? The house... You said The House of Books. Sorry, I was lying. The House of Doors was written by uh, Tan Tuan Eng. Um, and it's... It sounded like a really good book. It was set... I I think I want to say in Korea, like um, uh, 1921, um, set in Penang, which is, I think, is that China? 
I, I'm, my Asian uh, geography isn't brilliant, I'll be honest. I don't know. No, I don't either. But um, but the it's about <laughs> this family's interaction with um, a very well-known English author from the time called uh, Somerset Maugham. And it just sounded really... I heard him speaking about it on um, the radio. And like I say, he was on the longer shortlist because we only did the shortlist i think there was about six books on the one that we talked about but there was a mm -hmm. list that was even longer than that before that was about 10 or 12 books so um yeah this uh author was on that list and um uh sorry is that penang p-e-n-a-n-g yes that's in malaysia oh bugger. in, in malai pulai penang apologies anybody from malaysia don't mean to offend. Oh, I'm, you know, we learn. Yeah. And now, and now we can, you we know, we can add that. Have <laughs> what? We can add that in our notes. This Janet mentioned a book well. that was set in Malaysia. <laughs> Nowhere else, Malaysia. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so um, yeah, but he was on the um, the longer shortlist for the Booker Prize, and um, it's a book that I'm um, maybe gonna get from somebody somewhere one day. Who knows? So I can't imagine. So, but my my news item right there was about Paul Lynch's book. Um, George, do you have any news to share? Um, have I got any news to share? I have. Oh, I just wanted to share. So this is a callback to a piece of news that we shared earlier, dear listener, in one of our other episodes about um, Mr. Uh, Jean Fossey, the winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature for. I believe Elise by the Fire. Um, I'll have again that correct title will be in the books mentioned. Um, but he he ha he gave his uh, Nobel Prize uh, address or like lecture um, recently, and there's just a quote that I thought would be lovely to read uh, on air on Mike. I guess. <laughs> yeah, just read it. Yeah, shut up and read it. <laughs> When it was announced that I had been awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature, I received a lot of emails and congratulations, and of course I was very pleased. Most of the greetings were simple and cheerful, but some people wrote that they were screaming with joy, others that they were moved to tears. That truly touched me. There are many suicides in my writing, more than I like to think about. I have been afraid that I, in this way, may have contributed to legitimizing suicide. So what touched me more than anything were those who candidly wrote that my writing had quite simply saved their lives. In a sense, I have always known that writing can save lives. Perhaps it has even saved my own life. And if my writing also can help to save the lives of others, nothing would make me happier. Thank you, Swedish Academy, for having awarded me the Nobel Prize in Literature. And thank you to God. Uh, that's available. The entire lecture is available uh, to check out on their website if you'd like to. Uh, but that section in particular, I was just like, well, you know what? And I think that it highlights something that a lot of people are struggling with right now, just in general. And, and it because suicide is like part of mental health and, um, you know, it's not something people always want to talk about. And we've said before you know relating to characters or stories in books can often give you some relief or release if you're experiencing any of those things but i think it is very um open and 
um, sort of it 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 what's the word I'm looking for? It it puts him in good stead or a good shows him in a good light that he's prepared to recognize, you know, the possibility that something he's written might have actually had a negative effect, and that you know that takes a lot to to face that, you know. Yeah, I think it's very humanizing. You know, I love I love to see a writer, especially at that, you know, what <laughs> to to me as a writer, someone who writes short stories for myself, um, it's it's really nice to see someone at the Nobel Prize level <laughs> say, I worry about the stuff that I write. You know, I have I have concerns. I don't want to be putting out the wrong message, you know, when I'm, I'm trying to write these stories that aren't, you know, he says, I, I don't want to think about, or more than I care to think about. And I sort of, I, it's, 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 it's like one of those flaws that makes you like someone better. It's like, yeah, you shouldn't have to think about that, mate. I'm sure <laughs> your therapist might disagree, but like, you know, you're writing. Yeah, sure. Don't worry about it. Fine. But so. Just a little bit on the uh, awards circuit. Yeah, so we got we got a couple of things right there. Um, oh, did you want to talk? So this isn't something that we do routinely, but because we've had like a period of a couple of weeks where there have been some pretty significant uh, losses in the sort of creative arena, if you like, mm -hmm. we did want to um, sort of give, a, I don't know what you call it, a nod of the head or a tip of the cap to some people who in our lives have been influential and we feel um, deserve recognition. Right, George? Yeah, I wanted to bring up the passing um, of uh, Benjamin Zephaniah, um, uh, a British Jamaican poet and writer, passed away today at the age of 65. He, you know, he's been a very influential force in Britain as a writer, um, as a musician. It's sad, you know, um, he's someone who wrote a lot about the like music and poetry in Jamaica and what's referred to as like street politics. Um, but so he talks about, he talked explicitly about his experience with incarceration and racism in Britain and, sort of the diaspora of being Jamaican in Britain. Bearing in mind, he was born in 1958 and died 2023. And there was so much um, change, both good and bad, in that period of time, you know, because 1958 was like a time when welfare benefits, health care were being becoming widely available in the UK. So from that point of view, and pe for people raising families, that was a great thing. But also you had that sort of post-war resentment towards, um, you know, uh, Jamaican black people, black people from Africa, a lot of people from the West Indies who came or went to the UK in order to support the war effort, um, what, 20, 30 years prior to him being born and then they weren't terribly welcomed once the war was over similarly i think yeah. in this country and it was the generation of benjamin uh zephaniah whose his generation really i think felt the the consequence of that because 
his parents' generation probably took it on the chin and said, oh, well, you know, you just got to learn to live with it or whatever, whereas his generation were more of, um, you know, you've got to stand up for your rights. You've got to tell them what's wrong. You've got to, you know, fight against this sort of um, persecution. So, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, I wanted to read just a little bit uh, from his poem, The British. Uh, actually, I think I'm going to try and get through the whole thing. It's not too, too long, um, but it does come with some important context. Take some Picts, Celts, and Silures and let them settle, then overrun them with Roman conquerors. Remove the Romans after approximately 400 years. Add lots of Norman French to some Angles, Saxons, Jutes, and Vikings, then stir vigorously. Mix some hot Chileans, cool Jamaicans, Dominicans, Trinidadians, and Bahans with some Ethiopians, Chinese, Vietnamese, and Sudanese. Then take a blend of Somalians, Sri Lankans, Nigerians, and Pakistanis. Combine with some Guyanese and turn up the heat. Sprinkle some fresh Indians, Malaysians, Bosnians, Iraqis, and Bangladeshis together with some Afghans, Spanish, Turkish, Kurdish, Japanese, and Palestinians, then add to the melting pot. Leave the ingredients to simmer. As they mix and blend, allow their languages to flourish, binding them together with English. Allow time to be cool. Add some unity, understanding, and respect for the future. Serve with justice and enjoy. Note, all the ingredients are equally important. Treating one ingredient better than another will leave a bitter, unpleasant taste. Warning, an unequal spread of justice will damage the people and cause pain. Give justice and equality to all. Wow. Um, so I have to be honest, although I think I've probably come across uh, some of his work before in uh, his musical performances when he performed with the Wailers after Bob mm -hmm. Marley died. And um, I hadn't heard that. And I have to tell you, George, that actually brought tears to my eyes because I think that's fucking spot on, you know, because the Western world... No, it is a melting pot. It just is. It's not, and it's not just the UK. A lot of the things that he sort of references are similar in this country, and I just don't see us getting any better at um, welcoming people and making everybody feel like they have a stake. I do think it's kind of cool that uh, he, when it's on his sixtieth birthday, so five years ago, he said, "I'm still oh, yeah. as angry as I was in my twenties." So it's like the classic. Um, angry young man and also that he um turned down an obe which like yeah <laughs> doesn't happen often it, it actually it has happened before i think i seem to remember somebody else who did it i can't remember but um what is that an officer of the british empire it's called uh the order of the british empire so oh. yeah it's like a even even more sounding like a bunch of film baddies well basically it comes from the monarchy and they bestow they have like a new year's honors list and you get like it it starts with obes and then it's mbes and then it's um knighthoods and damehoods and all that sort of nonsense so um and the to turn it down is like whoa and i think didn't you tell me his quote was oh 
Oh, it just, I get angry when I hear, because it's an officer of the Order of the British Empire. I get angry when I hear the word empire. It reminds me of slavery yeah. and thousands of years of brutality. And um, so why would you want to accept a, an award that, you know, just kind yeah. of did did an injustice to all of your uh, ancestors? And... Yeah, it's crazy to think about, like, after World War Two being like, oh, yeah, we should definitely close down empires. But also, you can still get knighted by the British Empire, and that's a good thing. Yeah. If, if we can, if we can uh, you know, because you're pretty cool, and you'll probably get us some brownie points and make us look good. Um, so will you just accept this award? No, sorry. Oh, oh. You know, we just think all the swords are cool. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so... In rest in power to Benjamin Zephaniah. Yes. Gone too soon, certainly. Absolutely. Um, and then, of course, I did want to say uh, a week ago, I'm not, I'm not sure if it was a week ago. I'm pretty sure it was Wednesday, too. Um, but what? Uh, so Shane, Another, Shane McGowan yeah. from the uh, Pogues, lead singer of the Pogues, and also a band when he split up with the Pogues at one point for a few years. He, it was Shane McGowan and the Popes, I think. Passed away last Thursday. Was it Thursday? It was close then. So yeah. he passed away last Thursday um, from encephalitis. I think he'd been diagnosed a few months back. Um, you know, I, I heard a couple of sort of like musical, I don't know if there's such a thing as a musical pundit, but maybe commentator or something on the radio <laughs> and um, saying, you know, every time anybody mentioned Shane McGowan, because he, uh, I think, was he 65 as well, George? He was also he was 65. also sixty five. Okay, so I think um, most people who had any kind of awareness of Shane McGowan would just like, you know, every sort of periodically, every six months or so, be like, is he still alive? And it's like, yeah, honestly shocked he got that far. Good on him. <laughs> yeah, fair play. I mean, you remember when we saw him? Oh yeah, he looked like a patchwork man. Uh huh. <laughs> And that was years ago. Yeah. That was 2000 over a decade ago. 11, 10? Yeah. 2010. Because, yeah, you were 16 yeah, I think I think, so. in Nottingham. And he. Mental. He performed beautifully as long as you oh, yeah. didn't look between the songs. Well, <laughs> it was really. It was, it was amazing. It's just like a feat of human. I was going to say engineering, but I don't know. Like. <laughs> Just like body memory, I guess. He had no teeth in his mouth. And so when he was talking, he would it was just all Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then as soon as he got into the song, it was just like perfectly clear. Thousands are sailing. You know, just I don't know how he did it. No. He he was a marvel. I mean they I think it it's a thing. I was talking to some people at work about this and they're saying like, you know, so many artists like because he was, you know, he he did get into heroin quite young, I think, which he, he overcame. But he was a, a drinker um, when he was very young. I think when he was first playing with the Pogues, he's quoted as saying something like, um, we really should play sober because it, it would be better. But it's much more fun if you do it drunk. <laughs> I don't know if you can argue with that, but I think a lot of people thought you would have been died, uh, died, dead long ago. So fair play that you lasted this long, Shane McGowan. Also, a great writer, a great poet, 
Um, if you've never heard of the Pogues, you don't know who Shane McGowan is, definitely look him up. Um, most people I spoke to last week after he passed away uh, who weren't like even people who weren't close friends of mine knew who he was. So, um, you know, rest in peace, those people. Yeah. So um, I don't want to dwell on that because I don't want to make it. Yeah, it's a little sad. It's but just, you know, it, a moment for them both. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, in classic fashion, we have made the episode take really bloody long. So why don't we, we do our book check-ins quick. quite swiftly, and then we'll talk about the event this yes, weekend. Yes, 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 yes. Let's do that, George. What? Which I've hidden from the listeners once again, even though, of course, it, it in is the in the title. <laughs> yeah. Go on, Mum. What are you reading now? Okay, what have so, you just well, read? I just finished reading the... Uh, oh, excuse me, a hiccup a little bit. I'm, I don't know if you can get rid of those, Mike, but anyway... Um, <laughs> I just finished reading that Billy Bragg, um, the three, the three dimensions of freedom. There we go. The three dimensions of. How do I know the books you're reading better? Because you lend them to me, and I just don't. Straight to jail. I don't retain the titles. I don't know why, but anyway, <laughs> that's terrible. I'm gonna start writing down like a log. But anyway, um, not a log that you put on the fire, but you know, like a record log. Anyway. Well, I mean, it might be a log shaped like a log. Maybe. If you get a very, maybe. very creative notebook crafts person. Yeah, I don't know about that. Anyway, um, so yeah, I just finished reading that and it was, um, and obviously you already brought it up when you read it. It's a nice small volume, really thin. It reads like a conversation almost. It just um, is so smooth. His writing... Um, and I so if you don't know Billy Bragg and we probably talked about this before, apologies for any repetition, but um, you know he, he's been a, a sort of he wrote protest songs or sang protest songs um, back in the eighties, I think I first remember hearing him. But he's also been a writer and a um, commentator, you know, on the state of like society and what have you. Um, so. Yeah, I really enjoyed the book. Finished it. First book I finished in a while, I'll be honest. But um Sometimes it's tough. Yeah, I think maybe the weather or something. Something, something, something. Um, I'm not sure what I'm gonna read next. But while I was reading that Billy Bragg, I also came across this um it was something I was doing at work and looking at this philosophy text, and there was somebody who'd written just a chapter in this book. And it was saying that because Billy Bragg sort of refers to the state of things in the world today, in the Western world, the politics, and finances and all that. So he and he referred back to Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan back in the late 70s and early 80s. And this um, mm. philosophy book I was reading referred way, way back there, sort of around like uh, World War Two and maybe a little before about some of the sort of political uh, philosophers at the time and how the state of things today uh, are a direct result of these people theorizing all the way back then, um, which mm -hmm. to me was fascinating. I feel a bit ignorant that I, I didn't really think, but I don't know. You think that change or changes in the way that the world functions happens I don't know, quickly in 10 years or something like that. And obviously it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> At the grand old age of 50, so I, I finally come to the uh, realisation that, you know, 
horrendous change can take time. But also, I think there has been a period over the last decade or so where things have happened quite quickly as well. Yeah, well, the information age is crazy different. But yeah, it turns out a bunch of... <laughs> people were thinking about taking over the world. Like People were thinking, yeah. Well, it goes back ago. to that World War II thing we were talking about, doesn't it? Where it's a bit like, oh, yes, we'll give up the empire. Just give me give me 10 minutes to tidy up before you come inside. And, <laughs> I'll put uh, away you, all you these can different dissolve. countries. <laughs> I'll put away, yeah, I'll put away the Falkland Islands. Anyway. Shouts out to Susie Eddyizard for her original version of that bit. So funny. Um, But so, yeah, lovely. Uh, Highly recommend Billy Bragg. I really did like it. So thanks. Is that you on Book Chicken? Well, yeah, because I'm sort of... um, I did mention to you um, that I've got a bit of an inkling to read some... I'm almost embarrassed to say this, dear listeners, but... um, I read something that made reference to uh, Shakespeare recently. And when I was in school, we read Henry the, Henry the Fifth, I think. Henry the Fourth. Henry the Fifth. Maybe. I think. We had to do that as part of our like, uh, secondary education. And that's probably the only Shakespeare I've ever read. And my other experience of Shakespeare as um, watching you do some Shakespeare in high school. Uh, watching. That's me. Kenneth Branagh do untold things to Shakespeare in the world of film. And, um, <laughs> but this, this thing that I read recently has actually, um, you know, drawn me in almost. So I, I, and I've got a book where Shakespeare's plays are written in um, just in a regular narrative form, as well as having the plays that you had when you were in school. So I'm, I'm kind of, Almost leaning towards that, but I don't want to commit myself because it might be a little bit too much for my small little brain. Who knows? I think you should do it. First of all, you've got a massive brain. Second of all, honestly, Shakespeare still stays with me to this day. Like, it, uh, yada yada, someone else might have written it, blah, blah, blah. And, and we focus too much of our literary canon on the West anyway. That is all true. But also the plays that are contributed to Shakespeare, some of them have some of the most beautiful language. And um, yeah, it's awesome. And that was what, so you can't go wrong. Well, so maybe I'll, have, I'll give it a go, but I've also got a stack of other books um, that I haven't started reading yet. So. All right. Can I talk? Yeah. About what are you now? reading? Come on, tell me. I am reading Slewfoot, a tale of bewitchery Ooh. by Brom. J- just um, Brom. Just Brom, B-R-O-M. Oh, interesting. Brom is a painter, so there's a bunch of paintings that sort of uh, immerse you into the world of the book. Um, It's set in colonial New England, a tale of magic and mystery, of triumph and terror. Uh, I'm going to read you the little um, four-note and then just give you the first line. Okay. Tread wary foot amongst these sacred stones... For here, on October 5th, 1666, the devil Slewfoot did take the lives of 112 good folk of Sutton Village. May God save their immortal souls. Marker mounted upon the ruined stonework of the old Sutton Meeting House. That sounds quite... Oh. (laughs) Sorry, I thought you'd finished! No, that's the that's the that's the forward. Okay. The first line is uh, 
a shadow deep in darkness. That's all. Whoa. I mean, that's kind of your thing, not really mine. Like, you know, it's sort of creepy. Oh, you don't, you wouldn't like something? No, I like, I do like the first line. I think it's, it it definitely grabs you, but um, I'm already anticipating that it's probably something scary and dark and, I can't wait. <laughs> I I believe it. I believe it. Anyway, enough of all that. It's time to talk about the bloody rare book fair. Okay, let's do it. Bum bum bum. Can we have some trumpets there, Mike? Please. No. Do whatever you do want. Do whatever Mike. you want. Stop. Mike. We're gonna we're gonna stop requesting things of you because you already do so much. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so just take uh, half a second. Big shout out to Mike, the sound guy. He does an awesome job. Thank you very much. Quattroizer on Spotify. We love you, Mike. Um, okay, so this weekend we are going to the Philadelphia Rare Book Fair at the historic Trinity Memorial Church on Spruce Street. Um, this is actually starting this evening when we are recording. Obviously, though, you and me both know better than that, <laughs> listener. You're not going to hear this by the time. I, it might have happened already. And we apologize. We're going to try and put it out as soon as we can. But um, we just wanted to talk about it because we think it deserves some shine. And we want to, when we come back, talk about our experience and, you know, share uh, the cool things that we saw. So like we say, it is going to be at this, uh, the Trinity Memorial Church, Um I think it's like over a hundred years old, uh, and it's like a, a, a obviously a fair for rare books, old books, um, and then there are also literary and book related events um, starting Thursday with a preview night, and then Friday and Saturday both have different um, speakers. Friday, the new Louisa May Alcott pieces amid eighty years of sleuthing for pseudonyms. Uh, is a presentation by Dr. Max Chapnick. He believes he has found 14 stories written by Louisa May Alcott under a pseudonym. Um, promises to be very cool. I don't know how you're going to hear this before then, so I'm sorry, but maybe there's a recording or something like that. Uh, and also on Friday, one second, Go on. they're just going to talk about Stephen Ujifusa is going to talk about his latest book, The Last Ships from Hamburg. Business, Rivalry, and the Race to Save Russia's Jews on the Eve of World War One, which will be uh, released on... Oh, it's already come out. November 21st. Okay. So if somehow you hear this in the future and you get to go to the Philadelphia Rare Book Fair on Friday, those are the events. Can I just put something in there as well? I think the same um, people who organized the fair that we're going to this weekend um, are doing something similar in Washington, D.C., on april 5th 2024 so um if you hear this and you didn't get to philly you can always go to dc in april next year so that's pretty cool and you can probably see us there hassling people. yeah probably <laughs> i mean you know we can we do a bit of hassling we can do a bit of hassling. walking our way tote bag first shouting at people across the crowd oh my gosh <laughs> that i don't even want to talk about it uh you know um so, just so that you know, if you're listening, um, we did go to the Library of Congress Reading Festival. Oh, yeah. And it was great yeah, fun. We had a really good time. But we had one of our party um, who arrived a little bit later. So, I, like, we were standing in a line. And there was lots of people everywhere. So, I just yelled 
like seriously loud, like way loud. This person's louder, louder <laughs> than you think a human can go. Yelled this person's name across the um, building, the Library of Congress Continent. building that we were in to get their attention. So they knew we were there and George nearly had a meltdown. <laughs> well, it was directly in my poor wee ears. Well, maybe. Anyway, enough talking about that. I want to talk about the day that we're actually going to be present for the Rare Book Fair, as we are normal people, unfortunately, living in America. We are having to work on Fridays, so we will get to spend... Well, I'm having to work on Fridays. Thanks, Mel. Welcome. I was hoping for a bit of solidarity there, but I don't know why. Um, I work today. What do you want? uh, Nothing. I definitely don't want you to work tomorrow. Um, (laughs) So tomorrow, so Saturday, God, what day is it? On Saturday, December 9th, there's going to be a panel on careers in rare books uh, featuring a number of delightful speakers. Um, Ali Alvis, the curator of special collections at the Winterthur Library and a former rare book cataloger at Type Punch Matrix. Um, I think what I'll do is for the people who have socials, I will share them in the books mentioned uh, just so, you know, if you want to look into any of these people or what they do sounds interesting to you, you can just check out our notes and find them. Um, So Ali Alvis, they're one of them. Uh, Michael Winship, uh, the Iris Howard Regents Professor of English 2 at the University of Texas at Austin. Wow, he edited and completed the final three volumes of Bibliography of American Literature. Good Lord. For 1955 to 91. This is all on the book fairs, uh, the website. Um, I'm not going to read everyone's uh, bio, so but uh, Kelsey Scouton Bates, Darren Winston, also the other two there talking about panel on careers in rare books. I also think Janine Cook's going to be there for some period, the owner of Harriet's, Ida's, and Josephine's, but I don't know. I can't find it on the website. Okay, um, and I, we can probably just post the link to there because they've got their own website, right? The Rare Books yeah. people, so you'll be able to find oh, all yeah, the information. Oh, yeah, we'll link this one. There, if you want yeah. it. Um, so they're going to be talking about, like, a career in rare books is that correct yeah i mean you know what here's the thing if i had a choice i would work in i mean i do work in some capacity with literature not a lot but i do have you know in my job but if i had a choice i'd love a little little corner bookshop lots of foot traffic coffee shop on the side that would just suit me but i know that those kind of um Stores are, even though there are there are still quite a lot of them around, I think, um, they are struggling to survive. Um, so if nothing else, support your local bookstore. Um, Absolutely right. And support your local book events as well, which is what we're going to do. Well, it's not really local for me, but it's close enough. <laughs> ah, yeah. So, so that's the first thing. Do you thing. want to talk about the other event? Yeah, yeah. Go on. Okay. So the other thing that we're going to see, I think that's early in the afternoon and then directly afterwards, there is this um, person called uh, Kermit Roosevelt, which I think is a freaking so cool, boss, awesome, 
shiny. The only way you could get away. Please. It is shiny. Pleasing name. <laughs> Kermit Roosevelt. But I think it actually, I don't know if it's a family name and whether he comes from like a, a long line of Kermits. But regardless, it's a cool name. And I think it's hard to get by with the name Kermit anyway, so you have to have a power last name. Maybe so, well. maybe so. So he is going to be talking about banned books um, in America, and we've talked about banned books several times, many times, um, and I always think it's important to appreciate that, you know, there are two levels of banned books. There are books that, um, you know, states counties, school systems, library systems, whatever, they withdraw books from circulation so that they're not available in public spaces. And then there are books that are banned from actually being sold or um, published in certain places. One such book I remember from the, I hate to say this, I said the late 1980s, I think everything in my life happened in the 1980s or something. Oh yeah, I'm 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 a little bit that way too. Every time someone's like, "Well, no, it can't have been 2006 because you had a college degree by then." I say, "No. No, that was I did get my college degree in 2006. Everything happened between 2001 and 2010. The world. And and that's now. <laughs> it's 2011." Yeah. Um so so anyway, so this guy, Kermit Roosevelt, is an academic uh, writer. Um, I think he's based at the University of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. He's a- um, specifically the University of Pennsylvania Cary Law School, where he teaches constitutional law, conflict of laws, and creative writing. Get you a man who can do... Both, both all, all everything oh he can God. do a bunch he can do a lot that's like it's pretty cool but um i mean his name's kermit for god's yeah. sake and he's made it work for him let's be right yeah, i couldn't do that so and so what the the blurb and i'm just i'm just gonna tell you what they said on the website about his piece i'm not gonna read all of it obviously but um he Oh, I'm lying. Oh, here we go. So, um, so the their sort of blurb on um, Kermit Roosevelt is uh, he wants to talk about the legal aspects of book bans in modern America because the amount of books that are being banned in places like library systems and on a county and the state level is increasing. Um, mm. His bio, we already said, he's um. The David Berger Professor for the Admin of Justice at University of Pennsylvania, Cary Law School, and teaches constitutional law, blah, blah. He's also a writer, oh, all the things. But um, I will be interested. I'll tell you why I'm interested to see this is I'm interested to see, one, what the law of this nation actually says, because the Aren't they, like, all big on free speech? So if you're big on free speech, I don't know how you can say you can't read that book. That's a thing. Uh, it's, it's situational. Oh, okay. It's, you know, it's free speech for the closest to the white man in the room. Well, so I'm interested to see what he's got to say about that. But it says it's conversation, so I'm hoping that... um. 
you know, maybe we'll get to ask some questions and stuff. I thought that would be kind of cool. So I'm definitely very interested to uh, to listen and, you know, on a subject that we've talked about a lot, but also that is directly related to something that we are both interested and motivated by, that being literature of all kinds. Yeah, and, you know, it would be cool. We're probably not going to buy anything because I bet everything there is so expensive and we're poor. Yeah, but uh, it'll be cool to take a look at everything. You know, they talk about having ephemera, uh, whatever that means. It's sort of one of those grad school words that I'm like, oh, yeah, um, I get it. <laughs> and they've got a whole list of different um, booksellers that are going to be there. Yeah, right? from around the country. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll find the Necronomicon, summon some demons. Oh yeah, you know. for sure. What are you talking? About? I just I feel like if I could see like a, a a notebook of Oscar Wilde's, that would actually rouse something in me. You know what I mean? Like that would make my heart stir. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I that's not my big motivation for this event. I think it one just. The interest. I like looking at old books. I, I can't lie. Uh, old stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who doesn't? I mean, I have, you know, I can remember books that I brought after, like, you know, my mum and dad passed away. And I found bits of information in old books that I didn't know about when my parents were alive, about my grandparents and stuff. So um, there's always something to be found in an old book, whether or not it's to do with the book or not. It's like a treasure. It's like a real treasure trove. So I. I think that's why it's fascinating. But then also the um, icing on the cake is that they're including these um, speakers and interactive discussions. Mm -hmm. So I can't wait. So um, that's Saturday 11 till 5. And like I say, you know, obviously when this goes out, George said it several times, we will have been and come back again. We will be talking about it <laughs> in a future episode. And then it will be ages after the actual fact. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be talking about something that happened years ago but the link to their website will be there and they do have other events coming up so if you think of something you're interested in and i think they have them all over the united states so and listen maybe to maybe all you need for a change in your career is to go and see some people talk about your other options you know their work sucks <laughs> i know is that a line from a song? I think that's a line from a song. Huh? No. No, I don't think so. I think it is. But, may, you know, going to events like this, getting out into the community and meeting people and interacting oh, with that world, yes. it's it's yes. so good for that. And it's the only way you're going to uh, do that and, you know, find out new things. So we hope this encourages you to check out some new book events in your area and uh, you know, keep on telling some tales. Keep on uh, being cool. Yeah. Book people are so cool. Book people are so cool. No, I mean, I... Bookers, all of <laughs> oh, us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're a right booker, George. Love it. But um, be aware. That... Well, you're a, you're a mother booker. <laughs> you're just being rude right now. <laughs> it's fine. but yeah and, and we we know from our experience even though you know the washington um library congress uh reading festival was a huge event you know we got to meet some 
cool people, some generous people, some people who were kind about what we do, but also were kind just having chat about books, which is awesome. And I think like just reinforcing what you just said, getting out there in the community and, and talking to other people, it, it's it's a great crack. Yeah, it's a laugh. You can't beat it. So And it's better than sitting inside on your ass. Yeah. So with that, we say good morning, good evening, good night. And good night from me. And good luck. <laughs> Tell some tales. We'll be talking to you soon. Good night.